Escape Pod 65 August 3rd, 2006 Today's story, A Green Thumb, by Tobias S. Buckel. Hello, I'm Steve Ely and welcome to Escape Pod. Slight change in pattern, we're going to start this one with some audio feedback from Jeff. Hello. I'm writing to let you know how surprised I was earlier today when I discovered that Escape Pod lacked an information page on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia which anyone is free to edit and use under the terms of the GNU Free Documentation License. It's an amazing resource. Much like Escape Pod, it makes truly valuable content available to everyone. I went ahead and created a page for my favorite podcast. You can find it, and improve on it, at wikipedia.org. Thanks for running such a wonderful fiction magazine. I look forward to listening to Escape Pod for years to come. Thanks, Jeff, for taking the initiative and creating our Wikipedia page, and for giving me something to talk about in my intro. I know that Wikipedia is getting into a lot of controversies lately. People think it'd be really fun to implicate new people in the Kennedy assassination, or change the population trends of elephants, or whatever. And I guess that shifts my own view more toward the minority. Because it's been my opinion for years that Wikipedia is the purest example of the internet as a transformative force for good. How do I draw that conclusion? It starts with the premise that knowledge is empowerment, and that giving people access to knowledge is giving them more choices. Wikipedia as a knowledge source isn't perfect, but it is unmatched in size and scope, and it's more accessible than any knowledge source in human history. Anybody in the world with an internet connection can instantly look up any subject from democracy to Doctor Who, and get as much detail as they can handle. That doesn't sound exciting to me, until I remember that when I was a kid, if I wanted to learn anything about computers or model rockets or hypnosis, I had to bike 20 minutes to the library and hope the books they had didn't suck. I'm also following the premise that people, given an opportunity to thrive, are more likely to be good than bad. Wikipedia is very fertile ground for communities, and while you get your share of hoodlums, the good people far outnumber them, and this is key they have the ability to clean up the mess more easily than it was made. The net result is negative entropy. You have pockets of badness, but on the whole it gets better all the time, because people have the ability to clean it up, and the passion to care. Put it all together and you have something unique. Something that could not exist without the internet and widespread access. Yes, it's easy to point out all the shocking cases of Wikipedia failing, But really, if you're doing a thesis or a newspaper article or a documentary, it's common sense to check your sources. That was a risk before Wikipedia. Where it shines is feeding curiosity and giving background on things you didn't know about but want to. When I have a need to know what a Condorcet voting method is, or how GPS works, or whether there are moose in Europe, these are all real examples for me, I can find out in seconds, and then keep learning more. Because there are lots of people who care enough to tell me these things for free, and want to expand human knowledge just because it's worth expanding. To me, that's worth putting up with the flaws. So thanks again, Jeff, for the Escape Pod page, and anyone who wants to add to it, please do. So, with that song of praise out of the way, let's get to today's story. It's about being a teenager and all the conflicts that go with it, though they may differ a bit in form. We present A Green Thumb by Tobias Buckel. 
Mr. Bakel is a successful young writer who grew up in the Caribbean and is now living in Bluffton, Ohio. His first novel, Crystal Rain, is recently out from tour, and it's getting fantastic reviews, by the way. This story was first published in Analog in 2002. It was also adapted into audio in 2004 by Telltale Weekly. Our reading is by Matthew Wayne Selznick. Many of you will know Matthew's name from his novel Brave Men Run, available in print and in podcast form at patiobooks.com. I think I've had more fun listening to it than any other patio book, and it made him an obvious choice to read this story. So we'll all have fun, fun, fun till... Nah, that doesn't work. It's story time. A Green Thumb by Tobias S. Buckel. When Jerry walked out across his lawn to catch the morning bus to Effendale High, he stopped to admire the new car Mr. Atkinson had growing in his lawn. Jerry could see the doors stretching up towards the roof, small branches of metal trying to reach their stringy edges up and around the rough frame. It looked like a regular car had melted, but in reverse. Every day Jerry stepped out, he could see more of the car's gray paneling filling in around the rough frame. Mr. Atkinson tended toward planting larger luxury cars, like any other retired old man. The half-finished Cadillac sat in between the rose bushes and posies that Mrs. Atkinson cared for. Both cars and bushes glinted with a fresh coating of morning dew. Jerry looked at the caddy and wiped his eyes with the back of his sleeve. There was no way in hell he would get on the bus with tears. Dad had flat out told him no before, and this morning's argument certainly didn't change his opinion. Damn it, he was old enough to grow his own car. Maturity. Jerry bet he could do a better job than Mr. Atkinson. The large, yellow, school-grown bus rolled around the corner, and Jerry hurried out to the sidewalk. No matter. He had other plans. Kids wandered through the halls and corridors, and Effendale echoed with adolescent energy. Jerry pushed through, finding his own particular group of familiars. Andy and Nathan looked up from an intense debate on cafeteria lunch. Hamburger or hockey puck? No one could present evidence on either side. Jerry, what's up? Andy grinned. He did it perpetually. Sometimes it got annoying, but this morning Jerry found himself picking up a little. Nothing much. Watch out for government, Nathan added. Rumor has it Mrs. Newfield's going to lay down a pop quiz. Andy looked at him wide-eyed. Shit, a quiz? I haven't studied. I gotta run. He abruptly weaved off to go and look for someone, anyone, with the appropriate notes. Nathan waited for a second. Then, did you ask your dad? He said no, again. At this rate, I'll probably end up a senior on the bus. Nathan grimaced. Jerry waited, expectantly. Well, I told you he would. I have it with me. As Jerry hoped. He looked at Nathan's worn-out denim bag. Really? Really. Nathan reached into his bag. It's not the greatest seed, but it should be all right if you play real close attention to the growing and prune the bad sections. Jerry reached for the packet, but Nathan pulled it back. Money? he asked. Jerry handed him a wad of bills, everything he had in savings. Nathan handed it over, and Jerry flipped the small packet across his fingers. A small subcompact with a hatchback glittered on the decal. Wow, said someone from behind. Jerry froze. Allison. He felt tunnel vision fall into place and the usual vague sense of panic. Is that a car seed? Um, Jerry began. Of course it is, 
Nathan said. Jerry's stepping up. He put a proprietary arm on Jerry's shoulder. He already has his temps. Once he grows this car, he'll be able to take people all sorts of cool places. Yeah, Jerry said. I'm trying to grow a car. And that was pretty much it for conversation. The three of them stood there for a minute, looking for something to say. Well, I'm going to go study for the government pop quiz. See you around. She bobbed off. She wants you, Nathan said. Dude, shut up. Jerry felt his face flush. Have you asked her out to the dance? Uh, no. Jerry played with the zipper on his bag. You should. Where are you growing the car? Far enough away that Dad won't find it. Always a good idea, Nathan said. Mrs. Newfield had the pop quiz. She was an old teacher, and she never stopped regaling them all with tales of her youth. She told them about spending twenty years as a riveter during the war, and about the cars she used to drive, made of metal. Old adults always spoke about the war. Jerry breezed through the quiz. What date did the war end on? June 8th, 1985. Write an essay on the cause of the war's end. Jerry thought about that some. He remembered that the old dictator Hitler died of cancer in 1974, and that the war with Japan lasted longer. Dad always tried explaining to him that people grew things because the war took all the metal for so many decades that everyone left at home had to try and figure out other ways to get by. Jerry just wanted a car. Jerry planted the hatchback down near a pond half a mile from the house. He bought some fertilizer in a sack from a local car farm and made sure to carefully mix it in with the dirt and pack the seed in. He figured he could come and water it as he found the time to sneak away. But as the week progressed, he kept sneaking away. The car was his pride. He spent what money he had remaining on high-grade fertilizer. He even put out for an extra topsoil to spread around the location. Within the week, he could see the frame beginning to push its slender fingers out of the ground and take shape. By the second week, he was using his father's shears to trim back parts of the frame that kept trying to grow off in wild directions. Keeping the car pruned wasn't easy. It took time and careful cutting. He really had to strain hard to trim the stray pieces because the car parts had their breed ancestry from the tree that produced ironwood. Ironwood, Jerry's dad said, came from the Caribbean, where it was once used to make propeller shafts and pulleys. During the war, it was used to replace cogs and axles. As the decades passed, it was no longer cut and shaped, but grown into all its uses as scientists looked for ways around the metal shortage. Every other day after school, Jerry went down to the pond. Sometimes the pruning didn't quite fix it. Parts of the car just seemed off to him, like the hood. But anything could be fixed or dealt with. The damn paneling, though, it started to come in over the right wheel well lumpy and refused to cover in completely. But Jerry remained confident in his green thumb, despite the small voice in the back of his head telling him things weren't quite working out as easily as he expected. Saturday, on his way back from returning the shears to the tool shed, he ran into his dad. Dad looked at the bag, but didn't say anything. He followed Jerry into the house. You haven't been spending much time home this week. I've been busy. Jerry realized that his dad was feeling guilty about not spending enough time with him, the price of long office hours. I hear there's a dance this Friday. You have a date yet? Dad! Jerry let the note of complaint drop. Take a hint, he thought. Leave me alone. 
but Dad kept pushing it. Isn't there someone you're interested in asking out? Andy was telling me about someone the last time he was over here. Jerry balled his hand into fist. He was going to kill Andy for letting that one slip. Yes, Allison. He flushed. Dad held the door open for him. They kicked their shoes off in the middle of the foyer. So have you asked her out? No, Dad, I haven't. What are you waiting for? Jerry looked at his dad. He could almost look him eye to eye now. To talk to her at school and stuff. I mean, she hardly even knows me. What if she says no? You won't know until you call her, Dad said. Yeah, but what if she says no? Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet. Jerry shook his head. Sure, Dad. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Like Dad was the expert on women. Watch your tone. I'm going upstairs, Jerry announced. Are the dishes done? Jerry shrugged. Of course, Dad was waiting for him when he got back from school. Still skittish about Saturday's encounter, Jerry tried to push past the living room and head up the stairs. He got stopped. Sit down. The steely edge in Dad's voice meant business. Jerry sat on the couch and set a permanent scowl in place. His stomach flip-flopped when the shears came out. Dad set them on the small coffee table. What's wrong? Jerry asked, but he knew. He'd been caught. I'm not totally unobservant, Jerry. I can put two and two together. I figured the best spot, and sure enough, you're growing a car down by the pond. I had it towed. Dad's green eyes flashed, and Jerry clenched a fist. He towed it? His car? Just what the hell were you thinking? Dad continued. Just what the hell was I thinking? I was thinking I need a goddamn car. Watch your language. Fuck my language. Hey! His dad slapped the coffee table for emphasis. I won't stand for this. We've already argued it out. We agreed we were going to wait until you had your license, until you'd driven, and definitely until you've wised up some. No, we never agreed. You told me. Jerry got up. Dad stepped in his way. Get out of my way. Not until we get some things straight. I'm leaving now, Jerry said, notions of packing his bag and leaving entering his head. You're going to run away. His dad smiled. Where are you going to eat? How are you going to eat? You spent all your money on that crappy rip-off some friend sold you. That hurt. Well, it shouldn't be the first time you've had someone walk out on you, right, Dad? Jerry regretted it the second he said it. His dad stepped back, shaken. They never talked about Mom. Jerry hardly felt the slap. He staggered back into the coffee table, falling over. The glass broke and shattered across the tile, and Jerry felt the tears rolling down his cheek. He ran out of the house, slamming the door behind him. The plot by the side of the pond stood empty, the earth scarred by the wide tires of some sort of truck. A blackened, lumpy piece of paneling sat alone next to a thorn bush, a dragonfly laying a clutch of eggs into a notch. Jerry sat by the pond until the tears stopped, and then slept there. He snuck back into the house late at night, blinking owlishly. His dad had cleaned all the glass up and done the dishes. They played at avoiding each other for a few days. Dad went to work. Jerry went to school. Once home, Jerry would throw himself at homework, staying in his room, and Dad would lock himself in the study. The only comment was made late in the evening when they both showed up in the kitchen for a soda. Haven't you run away yet? His dad asked. Jerry ignored him. It was hard to stay perpetually angry. 
Jerry forgot all about it when the phone rang, and then his dad poked a head in through the door with a portable. It's Andy. He sounds wound up. Thanks, Jerry said, taking the phone. They made eye contact. Jerry looked away. Andy? Man, you are so going to blow when you hear this, Andy said. What? Allison got asked out by some upperclassman. The world got all woozy for Jerry again. Damn it. She'd smiled at him, liked him. True, he hadn't actually asked her out, but it was all so confusing. He let Andy ramble on, then hung up and sat staring at the wall for a minute. This sucked. Everything sucked. The whole world sucked. You okay? Jerry jumped. He hadn't realized his dad was still there. Yeah, I guess, he lied. Want to talk? Not really. Okay. His dad still stood there. I mean, if she kind of liked me... His dad stepped into the room. I hate to say I told you so, but if you don't show initiative, you'll be going to most of your dances with Andy and Nathan. Jerry Mock shuddered. Now there's a thought. His dad sat down on a spare chair, drawing it up. I've been thinking about the car. So have I, Jerry admitted. I won't try again. I just wanted a car so bad. It would have impressed my friends. He trailed off. He wanted to grow a car so bad it ached. But Dad was right. They couldn't afford to have a new car right now. Ever since Mom left, they'd been just squeaking by with money. His dad cleared his throat. I changed my mind, he said. Jerry's eyes widened, expecting Dad to hand him a seed packet with a gleaming new car on the front, but that didn't happen. Instead, Dad stood up and walked over to the window. I won't buy you a new car. We'll use yours. I can at least teach you the mistakes not to make. Jerry followed him over and looked down. In the grass lawn sat his car, lumpy sideboards and all. Sideboards are warped, his dad said. The frame isn't quite up to crash standard, I can tell. But we can work on all that. I already ripped out the engine and transmission. It should take, though. It might be a few days until we see any progress. Our lawn is hardly prime area. Jerry stood awkwardly next to his dad, then patted him on the back. Thanks, Dad. Jerry stayed home from the dance. He and his dad sat on the front porch, two empty bags of fertilizer draped over the railing. Dad had come out with two beers, condensation running down the sides. A hard day's work demands a reward, he laughed. Jerry opened his, not liking the bitter taste at all, but sipping at intervals just like his dad, letting the beads of water run down the web between his thumb and forefinger. They'd trimmed the dead parts of the car. The trunk, the hood, all needed to be retrained and regrown. The A-frame, though, was decent. Not bad for a first car, son. His dad settled into a deck chair. The ochre sunset gave the little hatchback on their lawn distended dark shadows. Growing cars ain't easy. They take lots of work. You make mistakes, you prune them back, then you start over again and hope for the best. All you can really do is point the growth in the right direction and pray. And every year, they release cars that grow faster and faster. Hell, when I was your age, it took years to grow yourself a good car. Jerry nodded, sipped at the beer, and tried not to make a face. I'm sorry about... Yeah, his dad said in a hurry. I'm sorry, too. I shouldn't have hit you like that. They dropped the subject and sipped some more beer, looking at the sun dip behind the tree. Across the fence, Mr. Atkinson stood up from pruning, 
placing one hand on the hood to steady himself, waving with the other. Jerry and his father waved back. And that was our story. That's some great imagery there. I'm having fun imagining how the industry would react if everybody had their own auto plants. Of course, I'm pretty sure I'd still drive a hybrid. We had a record level of comments and email on last week's story, Head of State, with a rich audio production by Wichita Rutherford. The vast majority of people really enjoyed it. We had some people who loved the music, some people who loved the effects, and some who just loved Wichita's accent. We also did get a few what-the-hell-were-you-thinking messages, people who hated the music, hated the effects, or hated Wichita's accent. The most specific complaint was from Mehmet, who said, I am a foreigner living in the U.S., and I have been exposed to quite a variety of accents. I can understand most of them. This one, however, was really tough and not worth the effort. That is a good point, Mehmet, and I'm sorry you had trouble. But I'll take you up sometime on that bottle of wine. Anyway, for everyone who didn't like the production, we're not going to do this sort of thing often. Not with Wichita or anyone else. We just don't have the resources. For those who did enjoy it, I think you can expect to hear some more experiments from time to time. Our guiding principle is that the audio has to make the story clear. It's often very subjective what enhances a story and what distracts from it. We'll do our best in our judgment, and we'll rely on all of you to tell us when we succeed and when we fail. Fair deal? Oh, and some event schedules. I'm going to be at Worldcon in Los Angeles from August 23rd through the 27th, along with much of the Escape Pod team. I even have my own coffee clutch on Wednesday afternoon. How cool is that? We're still looking for any volunteers who want to help out with some party logistics. And if that doesn't sound like fun, we hope you'll at least come and party with us. The following weekend, I'll be at DragonCon, doing podcasting panels and the Daily Dragon podcast. And then the Podcast Expo at the end of the month. The rest of September, I'll be asleep. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Fly, fly, podcast. Savor the void. Where do podcasts go, twisp? Away. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju, with guitar solos so sharp you can shave with them. That was our show for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for the thrilling conclusion to the story that begins next week. Meanwhile, have fun. <laughs>